0: Welcome to Pragmatic Live, a podcast that helps product teams define, build, market, launch, and of course, price innovative products. I'm Mark Stiving, a Pragmatic Marketing instructor and self-proclaimed pricing expert. Joining us today is David Rowley. He's Chief Revenue Officer of Nalpirin. I met David just yesterday and was thrilled with his knowledge of a topic that I find fascinating, pricing models. As Chief Revenue Officer, David runs sales, marketing, and business development for Nalpirin, so we'll have to forgive him if he gets a little passionate about his own products. But I promise we're going to learn a new perspective from listening to him. David, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hey, Mark. Great to be here. Thanks.
0: Okay, so here's the softball. In layman's terms, what does Nalpirin do?
1: Well, so Nalperion was set out to provide a a really modern cloud-based software licensing and analytics platform. So what does that mean? Well, all you have to do is within your product, you instrument it with our API, and then you can price package and sell that product any way you'd like. Specifically, any way your particular customers would like to buy. So whether you want to do a perpetual license for some customers, subscription for others, usage basis based for yet another market segment, very easy to do all out of the same build of the application.
0: Okay, and and so yesterday when we had this conversation, I found it fascinating when we talked about the evolution of pricing models. Um, and, and so you just had a nice easy way to think through that. Can you help us?
1: Sure, well, I used to run uh, business and corporate development for Flexera software. So I've actually been in the licensing business for quite some time. And back in the early 2000s, a lot of companies were making the transition from selling perpetual license models uh, where you get a a right to use the software on a specific machine for as long as you want and moving into more of a recurring revenue type of situation. Uh, Adobe Adobe famously moved to that model with Creative Cloud. Uh, Computer Associates uh, had a, a rather challenging transition into that model. And a lot of companies have have now pretty much successfully made that that migration over to a subscription model. And the benefits there are twofold, one for the software vendor, because it gives them much more predictable uh, revenue over time, uh, a nice good sort of growth annuity. And from an end user standpoint, it also gives them a lot of predictability on expense, uh, which is also useful, because you can just tie it into an annual budget. So that's worked out pretty well. Uh, But now I think a lot of companies are starting to layer on top of that more usage based scenarios where they may have a base level of functionality that they offer through a subscription model, monthly, annual, what have you, uh, and now wanting to layer on to perhaps uh, making use of special features, uh, things that they would not use as often, but want occasional use of and layering that on top based on actual usage of those features. And that's working out really well from a hybrid model standpoint.
0: They were to dive into that usage concept a lot here in just a few minutes. But before we do, I wanted to, to ask, you had said something about software companies really want the predictable revenue. And, right. and, and that certainly makes sense. But the sacrifice for that is the large upfront payment. And so so, how do they make that trade-off?
1: Well, that's right. You know one of the uh, the challenges early on when selling perpetual was you know getting visibility on a quarter to quarter basis was was really challenging. And especially if you're a publicly traded company and you want to give guidance out to the street, uh explaining exactly how quarter is going to come in in advance was was really hard it also uh, encouraged some bad behavior for example there was the famous story i don't know if it's true but it's a good story of oracle selling more licenses of the oracle database to the state of california than actual employees in the state of california and so those kind of situations uh, were, were obviously challenging and, and every quarter had to improve on, on the past uh, in terms of those new upfront perpetual sales. Now, the salespeople kind of liked that because it was a good commission check upfront and such. Uh, but it also didn't necessarily encourage a lot in terms of ongoing account management. So software companies were often more focused on selling software than helping customers be successful with the software. So I think the subscription model kind of works out well for both parties because uh, the vendor gets good predictability. They know that their revenues by and large are gonna be sort of monotonically increasing and the end customer uh, has predictability in that expense. And they're also uh, naturally partnered with those vendors to get the best value they can out of that software.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The thing I love about this whole concept of pricing based on usage is it enables us to do price segmentation in some yeah. really amazing ways. Because the whole goal of price segmentation is to get different people to pay us different prices based on how much value they get.
1: Exactly. And, and it's a great platform for experimentation as well. You know, one, one of the things that uh, one of the people I was respected early on in my career said that, you know, if you're if you're not losing a couple of customers based on price, you're pricing too low. And I always thought that was sort of an interesting thing to think about, especially with regards to usage-based pricing and really understanding what that perceived value is and it's and its perceived values that is the key there, uh, because you want to align perceived value with that expense. So end customers really get a good ongoing sense of the value that you're providing and being able to tune that usage pricing model on a customer by customer basis uh, is really interesting especially when you're early on and you're trying to establish kind of like the baseline pricing for a product
0: So, so can you give me some examples of usage measures that you would price based on
1: Sure. You know, it often tends to be fairly application specific, although there are some common models, obviously a subscription is really just pricing based on time. Uh, So in some sense that that's a usage based model, but uh, more specifically, it's often something application specific. For example, one of our customers is a leading manufacturer of industrial printers. And so being able to price based on uh, adding on additional features, Uh, extra capabilities, fonts, templates, and so forth uh, is one one way to have additional income. And from a strict usage standpoint, you can even charge based on uh, number of prints uh, for an engraving device, for example, it may be on the number of blanks uh, engraved uh, and so forth. So, You know, a lot of these metrics tend to be fairly application specific, uh, which kind of makes sense because that represents the value to the end user, right? In pure software situations, it may be the number of simulations run uh, or the complexity of a simulation uh, that is running. It could also be based on the current number of uh, cores that are in use to run a given simulation if it's uh, a capacity-based approach.
0: So it's pretty much anything that they can measure, you could price on.
1: Exactly. And of course, the key to that is reliably being able to get those usage metrics back into the cloud uh, so that you can use that both for sort of product management, business intelligence, uh, see what people are using, but also more importantly, to act as a foundation for, for your pricing model. And the cool thing about gathering those analytics is, you know, you may you may price currently based on a perpetual license or subscription, but you can still gather all those usage metrics and uh, flow that back to the cloud and then see what the usage is. And you can do various pricing scenarios to say, hey, you know, I know we're selling it on a perpetual or subscription basis now, but if we were to sell it on a usage basis, what kind of pricing model might make sense? And sort of flow that through to what your potential revenues are and so that gives product managers a lot more confidence as they're rolling out a brand new pricing model to say yeah we think that this will be the net uh, impact to our revenues for these particular segments so it's a much more sort of educated uh, way of being able to attack that kind of pricing issue which otherwise is often sort of just some you know good educated guessing
0: Okay, I'm going to ask a really stupid question here, but um I'm a huge fan of data. I love data. Aren't companies already collecting this usage data on a regular basis?
1: Well, I I totally agree. I'm a big data junkie myself, and it's uh, hugely useful. And, and obviously not just for pricing, but for figuring out what uh, features are being used, how they're being used, what environments they're being used within and such. And but you'd be surprised that a lot of people just are not collecting that data. And even if they are collecting the data, they're not necessarily using it in a in a really strategic manner. And, and most are not using it as a foundation for any kind of pricing model. So I think that the collection of uh, metrics and, and analytics from uh, individual apps and such is an enormously uh, big opportunity for product managers to, to both have more insight into the app as well as have more flexibility on pricing. Hmm.
0: So I've actually not spent much time thinking about this who inside a company usually is responsible for setting up the data collection. So we know what people are actually using.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, it's often a, a, sort of partnership between product management, engineering, sales, operations, and finance. And so this is where a platform like Nelpirin, which is a enterprise enterprise entitlement management platform, you know, has a multi-tenant cloud-based component uh, where all the data is collected and that data can then be flowed into whatever other back office environments you want, as well as flow into data visualization tools, whether it's Tableau or Excel, and so forth. Uh, as well as working with engineering to instrument the app to actually allow the collection of that data. So the product management tends to be the people who really coordinate that uh, and drive you know, what specific type of data they want to gather and how frequently and, and so forth, as well as uh, look at different pricing models that they can do based on that data.
0: Yeah, so product management is usually the group that is, well at least they should be the group, that's deciding where we want to spend our engineering resources. Exactly. And since we're going to take engineering resources to instrument the app, we probably need product management driving this. So now it sounds like a big challenge for you, or maybe for everybody, is to say, how do we, how do we convince product managers there's value in measuring usage?
1: Right. Well, you know, um, with even with agile development these days it's still very frustrating for both product managers and engineers alike to spend a lot of time working on what what they think are a killer set of features, only to find out in the field six months later that nobody's actually using it. It could be because uh, it's lack of awareness about the new capabilities or because somehow they missed the mark and there wasn't a good product market fit and and so forth. So having that real-time data come back as soon as you launch that that app with those new killer features, to be able to see, you know, who's picking up uh, which features, who's you know, who's using it, who could you go to for a testimonial about the usefulness of those new features, etc., uh, is just enormously valuable to a product manager, um, both in terms of planning new features, new capabilities for the roadmap, uh, as well as seeing what the the return on investment has been, say, over the last 12 months of, of development. So it's it's a very useful tool uh, in a bag of tricks.
0: Wow, it it, it does sound amazingly useful. I'm, I'm surprised more people don't do this.
1: Well, we are too. You know, we have customers who uh, make very heavy use of our analytics capability, you know, in conjunction with our licensing and do some very cool visualizations based on that data. Uh, and so we're we sort of get this front row seat at uh, some of the sort of cool, innovative uses that people have uh, for that data. But uh, not everybody is there yet. You know, I think a lot of people are still uh, just focused on, you know, sort of the traditional licensing models and so forth. But I think they're missing out on a big opportunity to really uh, help drive their products in directions that the customers really find useful.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I started this conversation out thinking, hey, let's go talk pricing models and, and then you turn around and say, wow, just this usage measurement thing all by itself is a really powerful concept that companies and product managers should be adopting.
1: Right. And the, it really does go hand in hand with, with licensing, right? You know, it's uh, nice to be able to, say, enforce that uh, li- or analytics data comes back on a semi-regular basis and such, and that can be enforced through licensing, as well as the traditional uh, sort of subscription and floating licensing and concurrent licensing type of model. So, yeah, analytics has, has worked out really well, uh, hand in hand with the licensing.
0: And, and, you know, just to take this another step, I, I've worked with many companies where we come up with a brilliant ideas and say, we ought to go do price segmentation this way. And so we choose a new market segment. But in the end, the pricing systems, the accounting systems, etc., cetera, are not set up to manage that.
1: Yeah, you're you're totally right, and and that's often a big frustration for people, right? They they really have some strong instincts about a model uh, that they'd like to roll out and a set of price points and so forth, segmentation. Uh, but the infrastructure just doesn't support it, and so for a platform like like uh, NLPirenin, <laughs> I guess I I guess I am going to be too enthusiastic about my my platform, but uh, you know it, that's really what we do is we make it easy for companies to be agile. In the way that they uh, can tap into new markets and tap into new pricing models and such, and have a common infrastructure that's very flexible that allows them to easily price, package, and sell in a wide variety of models, all without having a huge uh, commit to engineering for you know very specific stuff. So uh, it's kind of you know instrument once and then run in any model that you that you want, and uh, that gives a lot of flexibility.
0: And I want to tie this back to the usage data one more time, and that is you had said, hey, sometimes people intuitively know how they want to price or what model they want to use. But we put the usage data in usage measurement. we now monitor, we can now tell, and because we've been monitoring, we already have the systems in place to know that we can price based on
1: it. Exactly right. And you know sometimes the the intuitions are you know bang on. And other times, you know, you're surprised at what you learn from that usage data. And uh, it's so it's it's it can be very telling the the other thing that we find really useful about the analytics is more from an education standpoint. So if you rolled out these features and you see a certain segment of customers that are not making use of uh, certain capabilities then it, it's straightforward to even uh, automatically add them into an email drip campaign that specifically walks them through say tutorials or other uh, educational approaches for getting them uh, you know, exposed to that new capability. And of course, that's good for them as well because it better leverages the software and uh, makes them more loyal and, and productive customers.
0: Right, or if it's a feature that they just didn't need, now we have a new price segmentation methodology or market yes. segmentation. So yeah, fascinating. Okay, so it's this is a no-brainer for software. Does this actually work for hardware too, or are you guys only software?
1: No, we we have an ever-increasing number of customers. In fact, you know we were arguably doing uh, Internet of Things IoT stuff uh, even before IoT was was coined as a phrase. And you know, back to our printer example, that's a great. Uh, use of uh, licensing to manage feature-based approaches. So, with one physical hardware SKU, they can have differentiated products that address different market segments, and they control all that through licensing. And of course, you know, you even see this with uh, companies like Tesla that are rolling out different uh, capabilities all through through software and licensing, like you know, autopilot mode and ludicrous mode. The physical hardware is all capable of all of that. But uh, in order to provide a differentiated offering sort of multiple entry points, they do that based on on licensing. And so many hardware companies are doing similar things, everything from uh, B2B companies selling into uh, telecommunication, telecommunication carriers and uh, uh, healthcare, So medical devices, um, robotics, you know, we're seeing use cases all over the map on the hardware side.
0: Many, many years ago, I was in a hardware business, and we always, we always thought of our hardware as really a box to sell software around, because it was always the software that mattered.
1: Right. Well, you know, the, the phrase these days is, software is eating the world, right? And the, a lot of the hardware companies that we've been working with are, are now on that transition into truly being software companies. And in fact, they're seeing the hardware aspects being somewhat of a commodity and seeing their their real expertise uh, and their domain knowledge is all expressed in the software. And so some, some companies are even moving from proprietary hardware and more into uh, open environments, even running in virtual machine environments, uh, hosted cloud environments, Azure, AWS, et cetera. And so it's really interesting to to work with those hardware companies and not only the technology transformation that they're going through, but the cultural transformation you know, as you say, a lot of companies used to think of themselves as as being box shifters, right? You know, we sell a box, it's got a price, we go through the channel, uh, end customer gets it, unboxes, etc. And now they're really starting to see the value of more of that subscription model, that ongoing relationship, and really helping their end customers uh, be successful for the long term. And the hardware is kind of really just a means to an end.
0: Okay, so this may be an obvious question, but in order to make this work, that hardware has to have access to the cloud sometime.
1: Well, so we support a wide variety of models, everything from devices and you know, apps that are permanently connected to the cloud or mostly connected to the, to the cloud. But we also have full support for offline models, uh, whether you know, you're behind a firewall and, and uh, have to tunnel back or completely dark sites where there's no internet connectivity at, at all and we provide the appropriate tools and infrastructure to, to manage that, as well as collecting analytics from within that environment and giving mechanisms to flow back to the cloud eventually. So, you know, what we focus on is with one set of APIs, so you instrument the app once and then be able to run in all of these different customer environments that, you know, your sales team is, is going to encounter. The last thing we want to do is sort of uh, not enable a use case a real-world customer scenario that your your sales force has a has a deal that they want to close on
0: okay so, so can i uh, slightly change topics because i want to get back into some pricing specific things yeah, and quickly, are you guys are you guys billing the customers directly?
1: Right. So we provide the entitlement management and the licensing mechanism and the usage data collection aspects, and then we interface with you know ERP for order entry. So typically, it's a order entry that then creates a an entitlement in the cloud and that uh, automatically generates a license for the individual and customer. And on the usage side, all the usage information would flow back to the cloud. And then we have partners that we work with to map that into a rating engine against a rate plan. And then that can eventually uh, generate uh, either an invoice or credit card uh, bill, what have you, depending on, on the individual customer relationship.
0: Okay, so you're gonna have to simplify that for me. You are not billing the individual customers, you are billing the vendor.
1: That's right. So. Yeah. Giving the
0: vendor the information they need to bill their customers.
1: Exactly right.
0: There we go. There we go. Okay, got it. That, that makes so much more sense. David, this has been fascinating. I've, I've enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, we love the, the whole space, and, and that's why I was so interested in speaking with you because you know we love pragmatic marketing. You know, I've been a huge fan of pragmatic marketing for, for years and years, and uh, love to see the, the frameworks up on people's walls and, and such. And uh, we love pricing. You know, we, we, we see ourselves really in the business model business of making it easy for people to, to price package and sell. And we get this cool front, front row seat uh, as software and device manufacturers uh, go through those pricing decisions and figure out how to make things easier for their end customers and, and to price against various segments. So we love talking to, uh, to people who love talking about pricing.
0: Well, that's me. So, so <laughs> if anyone wants to contact you, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, you can reach me at uh, david.roley, that's R-O-W-L-E-Y, at nalpiron.com, and that's N-A-L-P-E-I-R-O-N.com.
0: Thank you, David.
1: Well, great talking to you, Mark, and uh, really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, thanks. And to our listeners, we hope you got a lot of value out of this podcast. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for improvement, questions you'd like us to address, random thoughts, or maybe even some praise to tell us how much you like these. Uh, Please send your comments to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. Also, don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live.